Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. Church. Enjoy the message. 930, come on, you can do better than that. Let's give Jesus the highest praise where he deserves. Amen. All right. Thank you, Pastor Michael. I'm so glad to be back at Soma. It's been seven months since I was last here, and um, I've been trying to grow out a luscious beard like your pastor, and there is no greater beard in the kingdom of God than Pastor Michael. So um, <laughs> like he said, uh, I come from Birmingham, Alabama. My, my family um, is a ministry family. I am a pastor's kid. And that does mean you should judge me because pastor's kids are the worst, except for your kids. Uh, I, and um, growing up in a ministry family, um, we planted Church of the Highlands in 2001. I was right before I turned 10. And I had... No idea really what we were doing, and I didn't really know there was anything different or strange. Or um, It was definitely a unique experience, and as I look back, what I'm really most impressed with is not necessarily my journey, but everything that my family had to do, everything that my parents sacrificed, the, the blood, sweat, and tears that went into building a church, loving on people, ministering, pastoring. And I have so much respect for any church planner, anybody that would take on that call so that we could gather, so that we could have a place to call home. And I, I want to honor you, Pastor Michael, for your sacrifice, the way that you've, you and Brooke have built Soma. And there's two things that mark your pastor, I think, more than just his beard. There are two things. One is humility. I've never, I haven't been around a lot of leaders as humble um, as your pastors. They never put themselves first. They, are, they love you guys. And the second thing that marks their lives that they are so, so, so passionate about building the church, that they know that they are on mission and they are doing everything that they can to make sure that they are populating heaven as much as they can and making this experience for you great so that you can make a difference, so that you can have a life that's fulfilled. So if you love your pastors, why don't you give them a round of applause? It's good. Love you. Uh, before, before we get going, I wanted to show you my family. Uh, can we put up a picture? This is my family. Um, the picture adds a few pounds, I hope, but, but for me anyways. Um, that's my beautiful wife, Katie. We've been married now for, hold on, almost seven years. Um, these are my beautiful kids. Okay, listen, this is Rhett. He is almost five. He'll be five in June, and he's the best Christian in my family by far. He um, ha- is memorizing scripture, not, and this is, I wish I could say it's my fault. His daycare is awesome. <laughs> Um, but he, he quoted, I had no idea, he quoted Psalm 23 to us the other day, and the, his teacher said he's doing really good at his catechisms, and I just learned what catechisms was like yesterday. So, I, and for those of you who don't know, look it up. It's not that important right now, but um, he's awesome. He's a lot of fun. Now, this one, Charlotte, my baby girl. Listen, girls are different. Does anybody have a girl in your, like, is anybody raising girls? Okay, y'all are different. Girls terrify me. She... She makes me nervous on a daily basis. She's not even two yet. Um, we call her Charlotte, um, or her name is Charlotte, but we also call her Sharky, okay? She, little Sharky will get you, and we'll, we will talk about that in a minute. But I wanted you to see their beautiful faces before we continue. Um, 
And we are in a, a great series. It's actually the same series that we're in. This wasn't by plan or design, but we're in the same Next Step series at my home church, Church of the Highlands, called All In. That it is our responsibility that once Jesus has saved us, we don't just get to be passive attenders. It's not our call just to skate by in life. If we put in our all, our lives are really set up to make a difference. And thank God that there, God has a vision for your life. The vision of this church, the mission of SOMA, is the same vision that God has always had for the entire church. And there's, he has a destination for you, but thank God he also gives us next steps. And we see these, this vision in our theme verse, Ephesians chapter 1. It says, I keep asking God that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And that's what you covered last week. That is our job as Christians to know God. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. In this passage, we see four steps that we are to know God, find freedom, discover our purpose so that we can make a difference. That's the four steps. The most important step in this process is what you talked about last week is that we are to know God, to know him better. If you've been saved, if you know God, if you've known him since an early age, we get to continue to know him more and more and more, better and better and better. If we forget that step of knowing God, then the rest of the verse just becomes performative. It just becomes my best effort. It's me taking on my own salvation is me taking on my own works. And if we're not careful, if we abandon God, if we abandon that relationship that we we're designed to have with God, then we'll be like the people in Matthew chapter seven who say, Lord, at the end, when the end comes, they're gonna say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? And Jesus is gonna look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. It's important that we know God. And I hope that after last week, you didn't just hear that incredible message from your pastor, but that you did something about it, that you got to know God better this week. And if you didn't, hey, we get to start today. You are doing that by coming to church today. But let's not know God just on Sundays. Let's continue to know him every single day. Without God, without knowing God, if we don't involve him in the process, we can't take the next step of finding freedom. And without God, we can't find freedom. We can only find medication. We, we really can only just find some kind of temporary, non-lasting form of relief on this earth. So today, we're going to talk about finding freedom. And why is it important that we find freedom? Why is it important that the eyes of our hearts are enlightened? Paul's saying that if I could only get you to see differently, if I could only help you have a different perspective, if I could only show you that there's a better way of living, there's a better way of processing earth, there's a better way of living your life, you would understand. If you could see differently, if you could find freedom, then your life would have purpose. You would understand what your calling is, what your design is on this earth, so that you can make a difference, not just in your family, not just through wealth, but in eternal difference in the kingdom of God. That's good news. God has always designed for you to be part of the mission. You are a part of the vision. He needs you. He needs your involvement. You are a part of the body of Christ. And in order for us to operate at full capacity, in order for us to be all in, it's imperative that we find freedom. And I love the fact that he uses the word heart in that passage. That is the eyes of our heart that need to be enlightened. Um, you may know this already, but we are designed as triune beings. We have a body, 
We have a soul and we have a spirit. Our body is our physical body. Our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. It's really the center of our humanity. And that rep that's what is represented by heart. That's just the center of my humanity. But then I have a spirit being, and we'll come back to that. So when we're talking about freedom, what part of, the, what part of our body, what part of our trying being needs freedom? And Paul's saying here, what you really need to be free, now that Jesus has set you free, we need your heart to become free. Since the moment you were born, since the moment you were born, since the second you set foot on this planet Earth, your heart has been under barrage. It has gone through some level of sinfulness. You've probably, anybody sinned in here? Okay, good. Bunch of sinners. Thank God. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, your sin is lying. <laughs> so, um, just kidding. You don't have to raise your hand today. <laughs> but all of us, all of us, Romans says, all of us have, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. So our heart has begun sinfully. We've also undergone some form of trauma or hurt or disappointment or loss, grief, even despair, disappointment, emotions. And that's why Jeremiah says in, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, that the heart, your mind, will, and emotions is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Another translation says that it is just desperately sick. Who can understand it? And that makes sense. That because of all the things that have gone through in my life, that because of the hurt, loss, grief, sin, pain, my filter for life has become skewed and darkened and turned away from God. The way that I view the world, the way that I view people, the way that I view family, the way that I view my relationships, the way that I view my job, the way that I even view myself is going through this filter of my heart that is so jacked up, so jacked up. Sometimes we don't even realize it. We don't even understand the full capacity or how much weight our heart plays into our perspective and our daily decisions. But you may be saying, but Michael, I've, I've said the sinner's prayer. I've been saved. I've been set free. Um, why is it that we're talking about the heart? Why, why, if I've been saved, then why do I need freedom? If I already know God, why is the next, shouldn't it be freedom and then know God? No, there is, there's really two freedoms that we need to talk about today. One, the first freedom that we need is freedom from sin. So there's two freedoms. The first is freedom from sin. All of us have been subject to the curse of sin. We've all become slaves of sins. Look at it in, in John chapter eight, verse 34. It says, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The second you sin, the second you enter sinful world, you have become a slave to sin. But thank God for verse 36, which says that so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Um, by, by a show of hands, um, how many of you would say that I have been saved for 20 or more years? For 20 years. Raise your hand. Wow, praise God. That's amazing. Anybody would say 30 or 30 plus years? Wow, praise God. Okay, 40 years? Do I hear 50? <laughs> That's amazing. All right, perk. Wow, thank you, sir. I honor you. A question for you. Have you sinned in that time span? In those 50 years. You have? Okay, would your wife confirm? Let's go. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Okay, good. That's encouraging. So this is good to know. This man has been walking with God for 50 years, which I honor you for. Thank you for staying the course. Listen, 
Even though we sin still, that doesn't mean that we need to get saved all over and over and over and over and over again. Every time we sin, thank God that if Jesus has set us free, we have been free indeed. He has paid for our sins past, present, and future. I don't need to continually go through this freedom process every single time that I sin. Thank God. All of us, when we accepted Jesus, accepted freedom from the yoke of slavery to sin. That's great news. That moment when we chose Jesus What happened in that moment is this word called justification. Justification. That when I chose Jesus, when he became my Lord and my Savior, when I believed in my heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and that I confessed him as my Lord, justification happened in a moment. Justification is that it is just as if I had never sinned. When Jesus looks at you, he justifies your spirit, that part of your being, your spirit. When he sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your mistakes. He does not see your past. He sees his son, Jesus. He sees the blood of his son, Jesus, which has made you perfect in his sight. Thank God for justification. But there's a problem. (laughs) There's a problem. That even though my spirit has been justified, my heart is still all kind of jacked up. My mind, will, and emotions have not been made perfect, which is why we need the second freedom. The second freedom is freedom from flesh. Freedom from my heart. And that word is, if the first word is salvation, the second word is sanctification. I need to go through this process of sanctification. If salvation comes through the death of Jesus, sanctification comes through the death of me. (laughs) I need to die. I have to get out of the way. I can't continue to go on the path that I've always gone. And because I'm a human, because my heart has been so strong, my heart has gotten its own way for years and years and years, I need to make sure that I am dying daily. Paul says that I'm, we take, I take up my cross daily and follow Jesus. I have to die daily. Even though my spirit has been made perfect, I'm still stuck with my heart. And the devil... What he wants from you is that if you've been saved, if you found the first freedom, if you've experienced salvation and justification, what he wants to do is try to keep you in sin. He wants to try to keep you listening to your heart. He wants you to keep processing living life led by, not by the spirit, not by God's standard. He wants you to live based off your feelings. And that's honestly, if there's a mark against the American church today is that we think that we are owed to live according to my feelings. Whatever feels good, whatever feels right to me, that must be the right way. If God has set me free, if I've been saved, then I get to live how I want to. No, you don't. Your heart will continue to lie to you. Remember Jeremiah chapter 17. It says the heart is still deceitful. It wants its own way. It's sick. So we cannot live according to our flesh. We need to be free from our heart. But our heart acts that way for a reason. It acts that way. We still desire the things of this world. If you're anything like me, um, I still don't always want to do what God has asked me to do. I am, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I still sometimes desire the things of this world. Part of that may be because of, maybe for you, it's some sort of trauma or hurt that keeps you in fear and anxiety and depression. Maybe for some of you, it's the secret sin that you've tried to deal with before the Lord. You know he saved you, but you still can't get rid of this thing. There's something deeply ingrained that you haven't yet experienced freedom from. It's this recurring sin, this recurring issue. And if you look in Galatians 5, we're going to go there today. 
Um, if you look in Galatians 5, verse 1, Jesus has always designed for you to be free. You are never supposed to continue to live according to my heart, according to our flesh. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus set you free, not to put you under a whole nother yoke, a whole nother set of rules list. No, he set you free so that you could live freely, so that you wouldn't be bound to that addiction, so that you wouldn't be bound to that grief and that fear. You wouldn't be bound to that anxiety. No, Jesus set you free so that you could be free. Isn't that good news? And so Paul's encouragement then to the church is saying, hey, because you've been set free, stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Why is he saying this? In Galatians, Paul's writing to a church that he preached to, that he helped set up, that he gave a lot of great wisdom, advice to. He showed them how to follow Jesus. And as soon as he left, there came in another group called Judaizers, these people saying, hey, that freedom stuff is great. Jesus is awesome. We claim him. But listen, if you want to belong to this church, if you want to belong to the Galatian church, you need to be circumcised first. How many of you are thankful that to belong to Soma Church, you don't have to get circumcised? Amen. Anybody? Praise God. I'm thankful. You better be thankful. Uh, that would be a terrible process. That would not be a good way to build a church. They're saying, hey, before you come in, <laughs> we got the doctor over here. No. No. But that's what they're saying. In order to belong, you have to perform. <laughs> in order to be free, in order to be able to follow Jesus, there are some things you have to do in order to earn freedom, in order to earn him. And Paul's saying, you don't have to earn it anymore. You have been set free, so stay free. However, again, because we have this heart of flesh, because we have this heart, and even though Galatians 5 says in 13, says that we have been called to freedom, our heart is still calling too many of the shots. So how do we know? What does it look like for us? How do we know? How, how, are, we, how are we sure that we're not walking according to our hearts and our flesh, but we're walking according to the Spirit? He gives us two lists. Let's look in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. This, this is the symptoms of someone who is allowing their hurt, their trauma, their pain, their past to dictate their future and their current life. He says in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. It's easy to see. These are some heavy hitting things. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. That word debauchery is so prevalent in our world today that, that I'm just gonna give in to my flesh. Whatever feels good, whatever, no matter the cost to anybody, no matter what I know is right, I'm just gonna do what feels good at all times. That just is a debaucherous lifestyle idolatry and witchcraft, idolatry being that I have things that are priority over God, that I, there, really there is something in my life that comes before Lord, that becomes before the Lord, that comes before my relationship with him. And sometimes the thing that we are idolized are our jobs, my family, my wife, my kids can become idols in my life if I'm not careful, if God is not first. We may be prone to idolatry, hatred, racism, bigotry, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. And I'm gonna stop here for a second at fits of rage. Listen, um, remember that cute, precious, sweet little angel, Charlotte? Y'all remember Sharky? Okay, she's not two yet, but I know she's not saved. I know she needs to be free because of her fits of rage. And um, I am doing the best that I know how. Honestly, I thought we crushed it with Rhett. He's just, man, like I said, he really is a great Christian, but that baby girl ain't even close to saved. Um, she... She, uh, <laughs> we're on probation at daycare, and I'll tell you why. Um, so 
uh, the other day, um, we, get a, we get a call from the school or the daycare saying, hey, we love your daughter, Charlotte. That being said, she did bite three people um, in one day. <laughs> like, that girl was going after it. That's why we call her Sharky, by the way. Um, or maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We need to come up with a different name for her. I don't know. Um, but little Sharky has bitten three people, and here's why. She wasn't provoked. <laughs> it's not like they were bullying her. There's a kid on a slide who was just taking his time. And she thought, you need to get to stepping. So she bit that joker on the back. <laughs> just like leaned over, home. <laughs> you know, I, I'm like, but part of me thinks that's kind of cute, which is terrible. Maybe I'm part of the problem. Honestly, she can do whatever she wants and I'm okay. I, like, she's, she's got me wrapped for sure. But later on the next week, that kid, same kid, he remembered that moment and he came back and bit her on the face. Which honestly, I'm like, that's what you get. Welcome to your consequences. <laughs> um, but I, I know that a lot of us, we think that, man, I, it's okay for me to be angry. And it's true. It is okay for you to be angry. It is not okay for me to give into fits of rage. Some of us, we, we call it to help us feel better about our anger, to help us feel better about our issues. We call it venting. And instead of, instead of physically biting people, we just verbally bite people. We feel like we are, we owe it like, man, I just, I've got to release this team. I've got to say what I want to say. And you just say ugly things. You maybe sometimes tend, it can be abusive, can be harmful. It can be gossiping. It can be tearing other people down. And we've got to be careful. We are owed venting. Venting, really, if we're not careful, we can talk about our anger. We can talk about the fact that something made us upset. But the second we cross the line into sinning in our anger, that is a fit of rage that I'm doing things I, I and out of control, just yelling, cussing, screaming, tearing people down. we got to be careful. And that symptom, that fit of rage, can be an indicator that there's something going on in your heart that needs to be purified, that needs to be sanctified, that, needs, that you need freedom from. Let's continue on the list. Selfish ambition. Um, putting myself first and striving, trying to make as much money as I can, not obeying God, but just trying to go my own way. Dissensions, factions, tearing things apart, disunity. Envy, drunkenness, let's stop at drunkenness. Drunkenness here is not just talking about alcohol. It is anything that we would be under the influence of. So back then, most likely would have been to be drunk on wine. And Paul says later, he said, don't be drunk on wine, but be drunk on the spirit. Be under the influence of the spirit. And I would submit to you that we do have a substance abuse problem in America and in, even in the church and from drugs and alcohol. But I think one of the greatest substances that we are under the influence of and maybe we're not aware of is our phones. We are drunk to social media. If we're honest with ourselves, we'd realize that social media is dictating a lot of our lives. It's, it, if, you, if you ever want to feel convicted, you just look at your screen time on your phone. It is wild. I, you know, um, Pastor Michael said that uh, I get to lead student life at Highlands College, which means I get to work with students, college students a lot. And I get to pastor them. And anytime I get the opportunity to have a one-on-one -on -one with them, I love asking them questions. I want to pour into them. And they tell me, Michael... <laughs> I just, I don't have any time. I just don't have any time. I don't. And I'm like, you ain't got kids yet, but. Uh, like, I don't have time. I'm just, I'm so tired. And, I, you know, they tell me about their sin issues or whatever. They confess. I'm like, okay, can we just do one thing? Can I see your phone? And let me check your screen time. And I'll be dang, I've seen the la recently um, one student had 14 hours a day of screen time. 
I would honestly, you know what, I believe, this is, this is not math, this is just my estimate. I would, I would bet that screen time is, on average for each student, is close to seven hours a day. That's the average. Well, no wonder you're tired, no wonder you feel like you don't have any time. <laughs> you're under the influence of your phone. And that may be because you're trying to medicate something, you're trying to run from something, you don't, there's something going on that's indicative that you, there's some freedom that needs to go on in your life. So if you wanna feel convicted, <laughs> just look at your screen time. If those are the symptoms of somebody that's under the flesh, under the power of the flesh and needs freedom, what does it look like? What does our lives look like if we are set free? The next list is very encouraging and you've heard it many times. It says that the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of someone who walks according to the spirit is love, joy, <laughs> peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and we, we always throw away this last sentence, but it's so important. Against those things, there is no law. What does that mean? That there is nothing in the world, nothing, nothing can get in the way of joy. Nothing can get in the way of your peace. Nothing can get in the way of your uh, love. There's nothing that can get away of kindness. What does that mean for us? That today, if we are willing to, if we're willing to walk according to the Spirit, if we're willing to crucify our flesh, if we're willing to find freedom, your life right now, maybe some of you, you've been begging God like, Lord, I just need joy again. Father, I need your peace again. I, I feel my life is chaotic. My life is out of control. It's a mess. You have access. There is no law. There's nothing that can separate you from this. There's nothing that can separate you. Right now, today, you have access to joy. You don't have to wait anymore. You can have access to the joy of the Lord, to the peace of the Lord, which transcends all understanding. Today you have access to his love. And that is encouraging news. And here's, here's something that's important. Maybe you're like, man, I've got some of the fruits, but I, only, but I don't have some of the others. I, I, I'm good in some, but I don't have the rest. And maybe that's, you're like, man, I, I am naturally just like a happy person. So I've got joy. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Like I'm, I'm good with that. But maybe self-control is not my thing. But listen, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit. So I can't judge myself by one part of the fruit. I need to see all of this fruit in my life. So if maybe you're saying, I, you know, I've, I, I feel like I'm pretty self-controlled or I feel like I'm pretty patient, but I'm just a downer. Maybe, maybe there's something in your heart that needs to get worked out. Maybe there's some freedom that is still available to you. Nothing can separate you from that today. And it is the lie of the enemy. He's trying so hard to convince you that you will never have joy, that it's just always gonna be painful, that it's just always gonna, you're always gonna be this way. You'll always deal with self-control. It's an addiction. You're bound to it. You can't help yourself. No, you can. If I have the spirit of God living inside of me, I have access to self-control through his spirit today. So what can I do? If you know that you are ready to find freedom, if you want that list, if you want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control to reign in your heart, if you're ready for those things, we can do three things. First, we need some conviction. Conviction. And notice that this word is conviction, not condemnation. Thank God for Romans 8, which says that there is no more condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Remember, even, even though I sin, even though I fall, I am not bound and determined to go to hell. So there is no shame that rests on the people of God anymore. Shame, 
tries to tell you that you are a bad person, but conviction or guilt shows you that, man, you are doing some things that are bad. It's okay for us to feel guilt. It's okay for us to feel this conviction. And look at what it says in in Galatians 5, verses uh, 24 through 25. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. There does need to be some sort of awareness that I have passions and desires that are completely opposite than what the Lord wants for my life. I don't get to act any kind of way just because I feel it. No, I have passions and desires that, that need to be crucified. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And maybe today, as we went over that list, and maybe you identify with my little girl, Sharky. Maybe you are, you're biting people regularly. You are, people are just driving you crazy. Or maybe you know in this room that you've been texting that woman who's not your wife, maybe a little too much, or maybe you've been uh, just dealing with so much crippling anxiety and it's, and it's pulled you away from people, you've isolated yourself, or maybe you're being convicted of some other secret issue or pain or trauma. Nobody really knows the full extent of the grief that you're experiencing on a daily basis because of the loss of that person. Maybe right now in this moment, the Holy Spirit is drawing to your attention. Here's the area that is part of your heart, part of your flesh, that is not part of God's design for your life. And he's ready for you today. He wants, he desperately desires for you to find freedom in that area today. We have to have that conviction. And if, for whatever reason, we're having a problem with conviction. Maybe you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Then maybe say this prayer, Lord, would you search me and know me? See if there is any offensive way in me. Maybe it's as simple as jokes that you tell that you know you shouldn't be telling. It doesn't have to be this crazy big thing. Maybe it's just small things now for you. I don't know. There's all, every single one of us can grow in our sanctification, have something to be free from, have something that where our heart is still in control. We can remove that from our lives. Once we feel that conviction, though, and we internalize it, we know it, the second step is extremely important. The second step is confession. Confession. And I'm not just talking about confessing to the Lord. (laughs) We have already repented. We have turned to God. We have turned away from our ways and turned towards him. But there does need to be the second step a confessing one to another. I would submit to you, if there is any issue in your life, sin, trauma, pain, hurt, whatever the thing is that is dictating your life more than it should, I would submit to you that you need to talk about it. And not just anywhere, by the way. I'm a huge fan of counseling. I've been through counseling myself. But I'm not talking about any, we need to go to Christian counselors. We need to go to the men and women of God. We, are, we need to bring our issues, our faults to each other, to our brothers and sisters. Why? James chapter five says that if we confess our sins one to another and we receive prayer, then we are healed. We will find healing. Didn't that so nice? Some of us, like I know even in my own walk with God that I, I dealt with this issue, a sin that was, um, was just crippling for me. But I thought that because I'm a pastor's kid, because my dad is leading this church, 1 Timothy, 4, or 1 Timothy 3 says that if you, are, if you want to be a leader in the church, you need to learn how to manage your own household before you can ever manage the church. And I thought, man, if I'm struggling, if I'm dealing with things as a kid, if I'm, if I'm sinning, then that means that my dad's a bad pastor. So I definitely can't talk about the things that I'm dealing with because if he's a bad pastor, then he can't leave the church. And if he can't leave the church, then all these people are going to hell. I felt the weight of everybody's eternity on my shoulders. And it was crippling. 
And I thought I had to keep it quiet. So I just, I was like, I repented and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. I'm like, God, take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away. Please, 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 God. And maybe you're like me, maybe in your shame or in that issue, you've been saved a hundred times. You come every week and you want to get saved. Or you feel like you need to get saved. You feel like what Jesus did wasn't enough. Like, Lord, I must have messed it all up. I'll mess it up all over again. I need to be saved and saved and saved. No. Maybe your next step is to involve other people in the process. It's time to confess. It's time to share what's going on. Look at the scriptures. Verse 26 in Galatians 5 says that, let us not become conceited. Don't think that you're above this. Don't think that there's nothing for you to work on. Don't, please don't fall away from God or please don't miss freedom be out of pride. Don't provoke other people. Don't just continuously point out, hey, you need to get free here. You need to get free here. You need to get free here. Don't be that person. Don't, don't be the, the judger. But also don't envy other people's situations. You have no idea what they're going through. So don't compare yourself. Man, I can never have what they have. I can never do what they're doing. No, don't. Envy is not helpful here. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin or if someone finally confesses their sin and it comes to light, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And this is important. We are to carry each other's burdens. And then this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What does that mean? That I need to be free. I need to confess so that I can help other people confess. I need to be free so that I can help other people be free. You think maybe in your sin or your issue that you're disqualified from joining God in the process of saving and rescuing people from the things that are crushing them on a daily basis. God is ready to use you. He's got a plan for you. All you need to do is confess. Confess. If you've not yet shared that thing, it's time. The final thing that needs to happen. So once we've felt this conviction, and now we've told somebody about it, the third and final step is we need to change. It's time to do something about it. My generation loves to talk about their issues. <laughs> we love to talk about their issues. We love to tell everybody on this social media about our issues. We love to tell everybody about what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're doing. Every, we love it all. What we don't love to do is change. We think that once we tell people about our issues, everybody else needs to walk around our issues. As the people of God, we're not asking people to walk around our issues. We're asking the people of God to help us change and help us resolve those issues, find freedom from our issues so that we're not bound to the same cycles of sin and trauma and hurt that have, that have plagued our lives for forever. If you want to change, I know we all do, you can't do it alone. And maybe you're tired of hearing of it. I, I don't know how long you've been coming to SOMA. If you have no idea what to do, you've already confessed your sin to somebody or you've already confessed your issue, you've already talked about it, your next step is absolutely unequivocally to get in a small group. Why is that important? Because you are your own worst counselor. <laughs> you have, you've been terrible at it your whole life. <laughs> you are the most biased person about you in your life. You have blind spots that you'll never be aware of. You have things, you, if you were good enough, you would have gotten out of it on your own. Ecclesiastes 4 says that he who falls, pity the man who falls and has no one there to help him out, out of that pit. 
If you don't know what to do, if you're tired of fighting alone, it's time to get in a group. My whole, as, you know, again, as a, as a pastor's kid, I, um, I've led lots and lots of small groups. You know, I, I felt like, you know, I, that was my ministry. Um, two and a half years ago, my wife and I, for the first time since I've been married, joined a small group just to be a part of it, not to lead, but to be led. And I can't tell you how clutch it was for us to be in that group. We, in the middle of that, we've walked through health issues. We've walked through my own personal sin issues. I've fallen in that time just, and once we brought those things to light, the things that hurt us, the things that we were maybe keeping secret, the things that were holding us back from the best of God, our group rallied around us and prayed for us, have lifted us up, have given us some better next steps. They've shown it. They've given us accountability, which is so important. And can I be honest with you? I don't like everybody in my small group, <laughs> Okay. I don't get along with all of them. Some, some of them I think are, I, I can't say it. I'm not gonna, they're great people. <laughs> I don't like everybody in my group, but I know they're there for me. I may not choose to hang out with them every single day, but when they're in my group, I know they're praying for me. At the very least, they're placing their hand on me. They're showing their sign of support. And we've been able to walk through as, as a couple, me and my wife, have been able to walk through so much more and gone experience so much freedom in our marriage as not a result of my own will and self-effort and motivation, but based off of their support and how they've come alongside us. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, let us consider then how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, especially post-COVID. We have failed to gather together. We're, we've stopped talking to one another. We've, all, we've only been together via, virtually. It's time to get back together, start meeting together again so that we can encourage one another. Why is that word encourage so important? That word encourage literally means en core. Core is the French word for heart. If we want to encourage somebody, we need to learn how to get into their heart, help them, like, encourage them, lift them up, see what's going on in their heart so that we can show them where to go next. It's time <laughs> to change. If you feel that conviction, it's time to confess. And if you've confessed, you actually have the freedom to change and go down a completely different path. All over this room, would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Nobody looking around. If the Holy Spirit in this moment is stirring in your heart, pointing out some things in you that are offensive, some things in you that have been a part of your life for way too long, some things in your life that are secret, some things in your life that are crushing you on a daily basis. Maybe you've lost your joy. Maybe you're, you feel like you're a slave to fear and worry and stress. and Maybe that grief or that loss has held you back for too long. If that's you, the Holy Spirit's convicting you of that and you're ready to confess and do something about it, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Would you say, Michael, that's me. Amen. That's so good. Thank God. Good, 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 good. You can put your hands down. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that we have access to your spirit. Thank you because of your son, Jesus. We get to walk in freedom. We get to have a relationship with you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come alongside each and every one of these people that have raised their hand. Would you strengthen them, encourage them, bring them to somebody, help somebody come into their path that they can confess to and find freedom for the first time ever. I thank you, God, that you've delivered us from sin. You've delivered us from the grave. You've delivered us from our past and our habits. 
God, you're setting our lives on a completely new trajectory, one of calling and purpose and meaning and fulfillment. We thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus. For some of you, it's you can't find freedom or you haven't been able to find freedom. Maybe you've tried confessing before, but you realize that the piece that's missing is that I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. I've never let Jesus have my sin. I've never let Jesus have my issues. I've, I haven't yet surrendered to him. So nobody looking, if you're saying today, I want to begin my freedom journey, I want to give my life completely over to the Lord, make him the Lord of my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand this morning? Amen. Come on. That's good. Thank you. All right, you can put your hands down. Thank you. If you raise your hand or even if you didn't, would you say this prayer with me? Under your breath or in your heart, just say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you that you were buried and you rose again so that I can have freedom. And Father, today, I turn from my ways, I turn from my sin and my issues, and I choose you. I make you the Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, come live inside of me, fill me up, and help me to follow you every day of my life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, help me celebrate those people that made that decision this morning. It's amazing. Don't go anywhere. We're about to worship, but our team is going to give you some next steps to follow. But in this moment, would everybody please stand and we'll close out this service in worship.